0: Hello and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is Susan Juby. Susan's book, Me 3, was a finalist for the 2023 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. On this episode, Susan talks about how the Me Too movement inspired her middle grade book. She also talks about how she approaches book banning, and I try to convince her to try to write her take on Fifty Shades of Grey. Susan starts our episode with a reading from Me 3. So this is uh, the beginning of the book, Me Three,
1: where our protagonist, uh, Rodney, is writing to his friend, Larry, who is not writing him back. And he does not understand why. So he's going to tell him about his first day uh, at the new school that he has gone to under mysterious circumstances because his father has gotten into some kind of unspecified trouble that no one wants to talk about. So this is his first letter to his friend, Larry. Hey Larry. Okay, so I have to tell you about this afternoon. It was the first morning at Stony Butte and it was lame. Well, actually, whatever is a lot worse than lame. Here's the deal. I know you'll appreciate this. Like I said before, I wore my Doug Stokes t-shirt. Remember how when we showed up at Circle Square School last year with our Doug Stokes shirts? Everyone was impressed and they wanted to hear about how we came to my house for a pool party and a barbecue. And you and your mom were there and we got major points. So I was happy when the kid who sat next to me in homeroom noticed my shirt after lunch. Who's that, he asked, after staring at the big picture of Doug's face. Doug Stokes, I said. I thought he'd say awesomer, ask where I got it. I was ready to tell him how Doug was a nice guy, even though my dad said that for a smart guy, Doug Stokes is terrible at poker. And how my friend Larry and I went to the taping of his show. I hope that would give me a chance to get the conversation going so I could implement rule number four for living a lucky life learn about people. I was relying on my Doug shirt to get things rolling. Who's Doug Smokes? asked the kid. He was massive and has dark hair in a flat top brush cut. He looks like he might ride a BMX or a motocross or something. Stokes, I said. Not Smokes. You don't know him? He's the star of the Doug Stokes show. It's super funny. He makes fun of people who don't believe in science or climate change or evolution and people who think the earth is flat and religious people who don't understand about dinosaurs. He's hilarious. The kid narrowed his eyes, which probably wasn't easy because how they were practically closed already from how angry and suspicious he was. What did you say? He said, his voice low. I'm sorry. I knew I'd messed up somewhere, but I wasn't sure where. Larry, you're better than me at reading people. Maybe you would have known to be quiet. Unfortunately, I didn't. Did you say religious people are dumb? I felt myself starting to blink, which I do when I get stressed. I never used to blink much. That has changed since we moved to Stony Butte. These days I'm a blink lord. No, I said, sounding wheezily even to myself. I never said that. I'm quoting Doug. God is no joke, and he will strike down anyone who sullies his name, said the kid. Oh, I'd heard of people like this kid, but I'd never met one before. I should punch you in the face, he said, for making fun of God. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I like God. I said this, even though I don't know anything about God, because my parents messed up big time and forgot to teach me any religion. Doug is just, that's his shtick, I guess, making fun of people who don't agree with him. What's a shtick? asked the kid. I didn't say anything because what if I made him even matter? I didn't answer, but he kept going, getting more worked up. You would have freaked out if you were there, Larry. Seriously, it was bad. Shut up, he said, even though I didn't say anything before I shut you up. The kids around us were staring, and not in an I feel your pain kind of way, except for a girl sitting at the table next to us who looked curious. She had a single braid wrapped around her head about four times. Did you meet him, she asked. Doug Stokes? Relief. Someone understood that it was cool to know Doug Stokes. Yeah, he came over for a party at our house. Our old house, I mean. Where we lived before. We had a barbecue and everyone swam in the pool, including Doug. He came over to play po- I mean, there were a lot of people there. It was awesome. If you knew Doug like I know Doug, I said, a pool, interrupted the girl, an above ground or an inflatable. Oh no, it's like a proper pool, Olympic size. She made a sound like she was spitting out a bug and then repeated my words in a high pitched voice. He came over for a party and swam in our proper in-ground pool, Olympic size. Ooh, said a guy sitting behind me. I had no idea my grandma's above ground pool wasn't proper. A bunch of the other kids were snickering. It was time to shut up. I stared down at my desk. I wanted to get up and move away from the angry God-defending boy and the angry in-ground pool hater girl, but I was too scared. I wanted to button up my long-sleeved shirt over Doug's face. You know how the only sports we've ever really done are ping-pong and a bit of water polo? Well, my advice to you is to take up boxing and maybe running, because ping-pong and water polo leave a person defenseless against attack. I never thought I'd need self-defense. You don't need it when you have friends. Oh, well, at least no one punched me on the first day. So that's something I kept my mouth shut for the rest of the school day so I wouldn't make anyone else mad. I also kept my shirt buttoned, so no one would see Doug's face. Just like me. Doug wasn't popular here. So that's uh, one of the early days for poor, poor Rodney.
0: Um, I, love, I, I love the voice of Rodney, and we'll talk more about him as we go along. But first, uh, I'm wondering if you can say who you are. Sure. Uh,
1: so I am Susan Juby. I am the author of, initially, a lot of uh, young adult books. And then some time ago, I branched into adult books as well. And Me Three uh, is my first middle grade book and i reside in nanaimo i grew up in smithers so i write a lot about all the places that i live or have lived so i have three books set in smithers many books set in the mid-island region of vancouver island and uh yeah that's and i also teach creative writing at vancouver island university
0: great so This book has some interesting themes. Uh, I know that Me 3 is connected to the Me Too movement, but where did the idea for this book come from?
1: Sure. I started this book, this book um, was one of those books that got delayed in the pandemic. And so the idea for this book, there was a time at the beginning of the Me Too movement where there was a lot of sort of reckonings happening with um, people's uh, illegal and, um, offside and, you know, inappropriate behavior, like the whole gamut of people, um, were being held to account in a way they'd never had before. And there was a, there was a very famous comedian who, uh, was accused and, um, sort of had to step aside from a great big career, um, because of the behavior he'd been displaying with other comedians and then, you know, sort of, punishing them if they didn't go along with his creepiness. And anyway, um, we're all sort of familiar with those stories. But in that particular instance of that one person, there was somebody noted that he had kids and the kids were uh, sort of middle graders. They were young. They were 10, 11, 12, 13, sort of in that age range. And it just got me thinking, um, and quite a few of the men who were starting to, you know, have their careers you know people were really taking a look at who they were and what they'd been up to and a lot of them had kids in that age group and i thought oh what would that be like for a kid if a parent who is a celebrity who you've kind of hero worshipped you know i think probably my guess i don't have celebrity parents my guess is that if you have a celebrity parent um they probably seem pretty cool and glamorous to you and you probably you know ideally kids do admire their parents and I thought how would you like come to terms with the fact that you have a parent who has um who has behaved in this way um and how would you know how would you talk to them about it how would they process it because you know the whole world of um sexual um you know sex period but um this book doesn't have exactly sex in it but it has the acknowledgement of Um, power dynamics as they're displayed through you know predatory behavior so how would you try to you know take that in when the whole subject feels like overwhelming probably fascinating overwhelming scary and then you add this whole other layer of shame and all the rest of it so that was what um, the spark for the story I gave his father a very different background his father is a former professional poker player who gets a tv show where he teaches celebrities how to play poker. And this comes from, I have friends and family members who really went through a phase of loving poker, um, really, really loving poker, not like degenerate gamblers, but, you know, really caught up in sort of the, um, the sort of the drama of the poker lifestyle. Like it's a very, you know, some of these people live way out on the edge and everybody admires that. And I thought, oh, I bet there's a whole slew of um, characteristics that might fit what I need for this, um, this, this dad in this story.
0: Yeah. And interestingly, like, I think for these kind of Me Too related stories, I mean, Rodney is a young boy, and I think a lot of stories that dealt with these themes were from a female perspective. And I found it very interesting that you chose a, a, min- a middle grade, a young preteen boy going through all this. Um, why did you make that choice?
1: Uh, Well, partly because I thought um, it's more complicated, I think. If you are, maybe it's not, maybe it's not more complicated, but it strikes me that around that middle, you know, like ages nine to probably 12 or 13, you're really starting to get your ideas about what it means to be a good man, what value systems you have, um, how you interact with... um, with different kinds of people about power about your place in the world you know there's a lot of concern now about um like how do we support boys who are getting like the most terrible terrible messages in a lot of the communities that they inhabit so they're getting terrible messages on the internet sometimes in the gaming world um some of the most popular you know there's some fairly healthy and positive YouTubers. And there's some really, really problematic, uh, especially men um, promoting ways of being in the world and interacting with women that are just horrendous. Um, And, you know, a big part of their fan base is um, preteen boys and then young teen boys. And so I thought, well, what does it look like from the perspective of a boy who is like a a good kid? He's a nice boy um, and who just, you know, wants to respect his father, how do you come to terms with the fact that your father's not good in that way? Um, And like also coming to terms with the fact that you can have a person in your life, any kind of person, but especially somebody that you admire, like you would admire your father, come to terms with the idea that somebody can have good qualities and be exciting and somebody you admire and somebody who's talented and somebody who does things that are not remotely okay. Like, Anyway, so that whole process um, of coming into being as a person with your own ethics is what I what I was interested in for this book.
0: Yeah, Um, it was interesting. I was reading uh, something about your book this morning as I was getting ready and someone comment, the comment was like that this is one of your first stories not set in Canada. And I hadn't even realized that. Um, But I mean, was that a conscious choice to not set this story in Canada? And why did you decide? I see you nodding. Um, So why did you decide to set this story in the US instead of Canada?
1: Well, I have one other that's not set in Canada and it's a book called Bright's Light and it's set at the end of the world in a sort of earth variant. (laughs) So I have (laughs) one other one that's not set in (laughs) Canada. this one my books are always set where i imagine them and this one when i close my eyes and think about where is rodney living and who's what kind of a background does his dad have and i thought somebody like that who had this particular tv show that he runs um and this like history that he has he would live in las vegas like it just seemed very natural that he would live in vegas and then i thought okay so where would you go to run away from the uh, controversy where would his family go that was close enough that they they could visit him because he stays behind the father stays behind in a treatment center Um. so I needed them to be able to drive to visit him Um. for the book and I also had this I idea about they were in you know they had the buttes they had the desert they had the um like there were all those communities there um who were really into mountain biking and some of those, you know, climbing and things like that. So that's just where I saw the book taking place. And I wanted another thematic thread of the book to be um, adventure. So like living life, like how you get your thrills, right? So do you get your thrills from like taking chances with yourself and others? Do you get your thrills from pushing other people's boundaries? Like what does it mean to be brave? What does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to be powerful? And he gets to explore that with uh, some of his new friends that he gets um, after many bumps um in with biking, with them um, doing trick riding and things like that. Um and I'm just really interested in this, um, you know, it's a, you know, I think it's expected to be sort of a typically male thing of taking chances. Um, so what do those chances look like in that environment, doing things that they're, you know, high risk thing after high risk thing? Um, when I think of my own, uh, you know, my own childhood and being a preteen, we took chances, but um, sort of the boys around us took different kinds of chances. They were like more inclined to do stuff that was like literally dangerous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about like, because this book does deal with uh, challenging subject matter for it, for its age group, I guess you could say. And we're in a time where there seems to be a bit of a knee jerk reaction to anything that would be like quote unquote, challenging material. Um, people, books are being banned, uh, even they're obviously, or even like quietly through Goodreads. Um, how do you deal with that sort of stuff when you're writing for a younger age group? Do you consider it more now, or are you just kind of doing what you've always done?
1: I have been, um, since the beginning of my career, I've had a fair bit of um, experience with getting banned. (laughs) So my second book was banned, literally banned in Texas, not just challenged, but actually banned. There was only like seven books that year banned in Texas. Um, Miss Smithers got banned in Texas. Um, And so, and I've had run into trouble with, um, you know, book banning in different communities in Canada, um, formal and informal book banning. And I just try not to think about it. So I think about it from the terms, okay, what story do I want to tell? That's really, you know, I have my story that I want to tell. And I want to tell it in a way that allows a young reader, the right young reader, to encounter it and go and make some connections themselves. Like, it, it. I don't want to expose kids to things they have, you know, that's not, I'm not trying to shock kids or, you know, destroy their innocence or anything like that. What I want to offer them, I mean, in the course of telling a story and creating an authentic character, is offer them a view of the world that might make them think, oh, okay, what do I think about that? Like, how do I, how would I behave or feel in that, um, you know, to increase empathy and all the rest of that stuff? So there's nothing explicit in this book. Um, And I know that there is this strong push right now, you know, with the parents' rights movement and all that kind of stuff to kind of control what every kid gets access to, because some people don't want their kids to have access to it. Um, That's, you know, that's not my problem. (laughs) I like to, um, uh, and I also think about the things I saw as a young person and the things I read um, were way, way, way more harsh and explicit and all the rest of it than any book I ever read, including the ones I stole from my mother. Um, And kids now who, even the most sheltered kids, if they have access to the internet um, and the things that kids now are seeing on the internet, uh, you know, I don't wanna, we don't need to get into it, but it's crazy what young, young people are seeing on the internet now, even with the best efforts of their parents. They are seeing and hearing things on the internet in there's you know there's social media circles whatever it happens to be that would have blown my mind when I was younger and I thought you know this book is also part of a t- an attempt to address okay so what does it mean um, to sort of get ideas about um, men and women that come from stuff you're seeing on the internet that's some bad stuff a lot of it really unhealthy um, and so you know I just wanted to humanize um, some of those dynamics. Boy, that makes me sound unfun, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I want to just quickly touch on something you said, but I, I also think like your books always include so much humor. Like, it's not like you, it, we're just getting these very serious topics where we're dealing with, you know, power dynamics and ethics. But like, you know, even in what you just read, Rodney has a sense of humor and there's, you know, his voice is light despite the fact that he's going through such tremendous challenge which i think is often what we see in kids like kids are so much more resilient and clever than we often give them credit for Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and he's doing the thing in the book that i think i did as a young person and that i see other young people that i know doing which is they take in as much as they think they can handle and so you can present everything in the world and so he's busy. He does not want to engage with what has happened with his father and is happening with his family. And so he chooses not to. So he spends a lot of time in the book focused on things like turkey pot pie and chicken pot pie. He's really goes through a pot pie phase um, and he just slowly starts to, you know, he's very much my dad would never have done that. This is um you know, this is just a bad mistake. And so he stays stuck in that place um, and gradually, gradually sort of comes to terms with what has happened in his life. But he's also kind of, he's also kind of an innocent kid. He's like a nice, innocent kid who hasn't quite, you know, it's a big thing for him to get his head around. Um, You know, we usually were quite a bit older when we realize that our parents are flawed. Hopefully they're not that kind of flawed. But- you know all you need to do is uh be around like a percentage of the population and they they have pretty problematic attitudes that are um at work yeah uh, so yeah he, and he he deals with it through humor but he's also got that mix of that i think is so beautiful with the younger people of like resilience innocence knowingness self-protection all of those things as he slowly comes to terms at his own speed with, um, what's happened.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to touch on just like looping back to, uh, the conversation about kind of banning and that sort of thing but does it feel to you as someone who had their their second book banned before all this uh current stuff we're seeing does it feel to you like things have ramped up in that way or does it just seem like a continuation of what you saw then
1: oh it's ramped up a lot it's really turned into i think this process of banning books and challenging books and going after librarians has turned into like a hobby and a lifestyle identity for some folks and uh i think for the most part they haven't read the books that they're upset about um and they really haven't you know because some of the most famous examples of recent examples have been launched by people who haven't read the books uh and uh Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely got, and it's gotten really dangerous for like literally dangerous for certain kinds of writers, um, LGBTQ plus people. Um, and also their readers who are being targeted also librarians who are being harassed and driven out of, um, driven out of their careers. That's, it's a more, that's more uh, prevalent in the U S right now in certain places. But it's certainly moving into Canada at the same time. You know, the internet has flattened all of that. And so, yeah, uh, it's certainly a, a bigger problem than it was. And so, now to write anything that's sort of more on the challenging side, I think writers need a fair bit of bravery. I would also um, say that uh, I understand when people don't have the energy to deal with um, some of the pushback from from people who don't want um, full access to literature for children. Um, it probably, you know, being an educator or, or a librarian is probably exhausting. And so hats off to the people who have been fighting the good fight forever. Um, but if, if we, as a community of book people, writers, publishers, uh, you know, all, all of us, um, parents, all the rest of us, uh, if books start to get really safe and stop like engaging with the real world in a meaningful way the books are going to get lousy like they're not the the like the in, it'll just turn into um something that's irrelevant uh and so yeah um i think that's the danger is when people start to really play it safe
0: yeah as you mentioned, when you were describing who you are, uh, you, of course, write uh, for adult readers as well. What do you enjoy about writing for young readers that you don't experience when you're writing for adults?
1: <laughs> um, Let me see. I, I mean, I don't, it's funny, I sort of don't even think about it in those terms. I just try to inhabit the world and the sort of the Issues and kind of experience of the characters that I'm writing about, and so if the characters are 11 years old, they just have a different set of concerns, and the story is going to be sort of oriented differently. I write a lot of first person, so the voices need to reflect the actual uh, um, sort of what how the characters think, what their vocabulary is, their vernacular, all those sorts of things need to feel accurate. In some ways, my um, writing for young people is a little, not harsher, but it's a little, in some ways, edgier than the writing for adults. Like I write, the stuff I write for adults is, it has some of that, but it's very um, sort of soft in a funny kind of way. Like I write humor, uh, I think because um, adults, um, a lot of my adult characters need a break like <laughs> and a lot of the adult uh readers need to break like the world's like oh it's too much um and so the humor itself um and often the like the issues if for young people are a little like edgier in some in some funny kind of way um yeah I don't uh I don't you know I just sort of let the books and the characters dictate exactly what that approach is going to be I don't have a lot of um for the books for young readers you know like for a middle grade book there's you know it's not full of swearing and explicit stuff um my adult books have more swearing I don't have tend to have a lot of you know I don't write 50 shades or like that that's not really it's not really my my jam I'd not yet
0: be, yeah maybe that's the next
1: one. hilarious 50 shades of gray <laughs> i'd read it <laughs> you Get this next-minute book finished and get off onto that.
0: There you go. I mean, the original was funny for its own reasons, but I don't think it was intentionally funny. No, I don't think where people just
1: laugh and laugh and they do crazy stuff to each other.
0: <laughs> um, are you a person who likes to talk about what you're working on now? And if so, would you like to talk about what you're working on now?
1: Sure, I'm happy to. I am uh, working. Uh, I have a new book. I had a crime novel come out uh, in the same month as Me 3. So Me 3 came out after being delayed for, I think, a year and a half. And so not last March, but the March before, which would be March 2021, uh, Mindful of Murder came out, and then Me 3 came out two weeks later. And so that was exciting. And this February, uh, a book called A Meditation on Murder, which is the second book in that series, that murder mystery series is coming out. And I'm just finishing up the third one, which will be due in March. Uh, So I'm going to write at least three in my murder mystery series and then we'll we'll see what happens.
0: That was Susan Juby. Susan's book, Me Three, was a finalist for the 2023 Sheila A. E. Goff Children's Literature Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.